Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is the easy way to learn Bitcoin and also buy Bitcoin. With Swan Bitcoin, you can also use the special feature with gifts. So if you have friends and family in your life and you want to give the gift of Bitcoin to your loved ones, Swan makes it easy for you. You can create a Bitcoin gift with a custom message. Your recipient will get an email and they can claim this in seven days. They can then create their Swan account and convert the USD value that you gifted into Bitcoin. And remember, you're gifting not just Bitcoin, but also Swan's world-class education and customer service. So this is a great way to help your friends and family to take the orange pill. So if you're interested in that, go to swan.com gift. Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can anonymously borrow stablecoins against your Bitcoin. With Lend at Hoddle Hoddle, you no longer need to sell your Bitcoin to get some liquidity. If you need some stablecoins, you can borrow some by putting some Bitcoin up as collateral. This is an over-collateralized loan, and you still have one of three keys throughout the whole deal. There is no rehypothecation. With Lend at Hoddle Hoddle, all deals happen directly between users, and you are the one to set the terms. You can put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow and the interest rate you're looking to pay. Go and check it out at lend.hoddlehoddle.com. If you're in the market for Bitcoin hardware signing devices, the cold card is my favorite. You can get this at coinkite.com. The cold card looks like a little calculator and you can use it in all kinds of different versatile situations. So for example, if you are a beginner, you can just easily use the cold card with wallets like Sparrow or Spectre Desktop and you can just directly plug it in and connect that wallet and it will then work in a pretty simple way. Now, if you're more intermediate or advanced, you can use the air gapping method or you can use the cold card as part of a multi-signature setup. There are all kinds of other features such as a duress pin, a brick me pin, an address explorer and all kinds of things that you will actually enjoy because you're learning about Bitcoin as part of the process. So if you're interested to get yours, go to coinkite.com. Now, it's been some time since my last episode, and there's a reason for that. I recently got married in Sri Lanka, and so I took a few weeks off just because partly uh, there was poor internet in the hotel and also because there's a lot of planning around my getting married. So I'm back, and we've got a bunch of episodes coming for you. So today's episode is with Zero Fee Routing. Zero Fee Routing is uh, Nim, who is running the third most connected Lightning node and he has a very innovative business model. So we talk about his process of starting that routing node, the zero-fee routing business model. We talk about why nobody else has done it yet, where the fees are going on Lightning Network, and who will pay them, because I think he has some interesting thoughts here. And we also talk about operational aspects of running a big node, Lightning Protocol improvements, as well as LND and Core Lightning. So onto the show with zero-fee routing. Zero-fee routing, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. So, uh, Zero, uh, I you know came across you on Twitter and I thought you had a really interesting business model and what you're doing with Lightning as well. And of course, I partly got the idea to interview you from my friend Rene Picard when I was chatting with him about Picard payments. So, uh, let's start with a little bit about you. I know obviously you're under a NIM, so nothing uh, personally doxing. But do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you got started with Lightning and why you chose to run a Lightning node? Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I first started uh, with Lightning when BTC Pay Server first came out uh, supporting Lightning. So that was way back, like like I think four years back or something like that. I started up, used it to buy some stickers from the Blockstream store and then basically did not do much about it afterwards. 
So the node sat around for a couple of years, basically doing nothing, routing some payments by accident <laughs> without me knowing it. But um, yeah, and then uh, when the El Salvador story hit, it reignited my interest for the technology. And I dug into it again, uh, set up a node and thought about, okay, how, how can I can I use this technology to further the UX for, for users, basically? That, that was one of my main goal. So it's all happened very quickly then, because if you're saying around the El Salvador story time, we're talking, you know, September or, or so of 2021. And here we are in June 2022, and you have, what is it, the third most connected lightning yeah. node already? Yeah, it, it, it was crazy how, how well it took off, especially because I had to shut it down in March and completely start over again. So it, it really took off. I think well, what I what I thought about was uh, my, my, my fee scheme to basically gain traction really quick and grow fast. Right. And I think that's part of it because you had this big differentiating factor, of course, zero fee routing. And that's definitely, I think, noteworthy amongst the community of Bitcoin and Lightning users who are following the discussion on Twitter and mailing list and everywhere. So do you want to just talk us through how you got this idea for this zero fee routing business model and how what, you know what's the business model yeah um well my idea uh, was usually in markets with little to no entry to a uh, barrier to entry uh, the price approaches marginal costs and marginal costs for forwarding a payment are basically zero so it, it doesn't cost my node anything to forward the payment from A to B. That, that, that's basically, okay, I got to store it for the duration of the channel, uh, but but that's negligible. So um, for me, I came to the conclusion, okay, if, if uh, the, the cost for that are zero, the price for that will approach zero over time anyways because of all the pressure that's coming into the market. Fees are getting pushed towards zero anyways. Might as well start right off with it. And then because capital costs money and, and the hardware costs money, I have to charge something for, for something. So I decided to charge for my liquidity because that is actually something that, that is costing me money, at least opportunity costs. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so, I mean, of course, there are different arguments people could present here, right? And I'm just obviously for the sake of yeah. argument is making this. So could somebody make an argument back to you saying, well, actually, part of the cost of running the routing node is also the hardware and the, the CPU, the hard drive space, those elements of it, and you know the risk that you're taking? Or are you, or, or are you basically saying really most of that, most of the cost is actually in the capital cost, let's say, the tying up the opportunity cost? Is that basically the argument here? We're saying that opportunity cost of tying up my coins in this channel with X, Y, and Z person is that's really the main cost as opposed to the incremental cost of forwarding. Is that uh, the argument? Yeah, well, basically, the thing is, of course, I have uh, recurring costs. So I have, have the hardware that I have to pay for. It's, it's fixed costs per time. But those costs don't rise if I route more. So if I route no payments or a billion payments, the, the, the costs are basically the same. So it's, it's, not, it's really not the, 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 the amount of forwarding that is causing the costs. It's just a, a fixed amount of cost per time and my, my capital. Great. And so can you give listeners an idea of what kind of upfront cost? So like, let's see, I guess I'm thinking of it like it's an upfront business model, right? The idea is, is. a person comes to you and they say, hey, zero. 
I want a channel for 5 million sats or can you just tell us, talk us through what the costs are for the, let's say, the cust- your customers? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, th- that's basically pretty straightforward. I charge 0.5% of the channel size. So a uh, 5 million channel would be 25,000 sets. And I open the channel right after the payment. And then the channel stays open for at least 90 days, which is three times of what others guarantee. And after which I might review the channel. I've not closed any channels that were paid for yet, but I reserve the right to do so. Of course, right. So let's say that person sets up a node and it's actually going offline all the time, yep. or you know, then in those cases, obviously, you'd do the minimum ninety days as you promised, and yes. then cut them off because hey, this guy's a bad node or whatever. Yeah, that's interesting to see. So it's this point five percent, and so then obviously, as the the name goes, it's zero fee routing. So that means does that mean essentially that you have zero base fee and zero incremental or zero yes. PPM fee yes, exactly. for that specific channel. Now, yeah. I guess the other question people would have is, is it zero fee routing on all of your channels or only those ones that you sell to somebody? No, it's uh, on all of my channels. So I, uh, the channels that I open for a fee, uh, the channels that get open to me, they are all zero fee. Uh, since Lightning works with channel balances and you can only forward a payment if the channel has liquidity in it, I basically block channels that I have no liquidity in because I, since I can't forward to the peer, I have to let my, my other peers know that I don't have any liquidity. So I set the max HDLC, which means the maximum size of the payment that I'm going to forward to one Satoshi. So basically nothing. <laughs> I see. Okay. Right. And so is that custom scripting you're running to do that or how do you achieve that? Yeah, exactly. I have a script that runs every minute that checks all the channels and updates them in a way that the max HTLC gets set to one immediately, basically after I drop below the threshold. And it will get raised up about uh, a maximum of two times a day. So I don't spam the network with gossip. I see. Yeah. So this is something that people were chatting about. Maybe we'll get to that later as well. Now, just for comparison's sake, what are your competitors charging? So people who are, let's say, if we're talking in the market for selling an inbound channel, that's essentially what you're offering in a way. What kind of fees are your competitors offering and you know what's the main difference between what you're offering yeah there's uh, there's a handful of uh, well-known competitors uh, the biggest is Alan big they sell channels for 0.2 percent plus i think about three thousand sets fixed fee and there is on the other end uh, there's thor i think they're called that's bitrefill's service they charge north of one percent i think 1.2 percent or something like that so I'm, I'm sitting in the middle between there there is breeze has an integrated lsp that that opens uh, the breeze wallet for for mobile phones that opens a channel to you on the fly they charge 0.4 percent so I'm, I'm basically in the middle of of what others charge um, but all of them are charging routing fees on top of that. So that's your big, uh, obviously, as the name goes, that's your big differentiator. Yeah. And so I think the other aspect of it is the quality of the channel that you're getting because that's maybe another area of distinction, let's say. Yeah. Uh, because now, of course, all the, pretty much all those ones you named, they are all well-connected nodes also. Uh, but potentially, if somebody is trying to compete here, 
part of the game here is to have a well-connected node so that you can offer reliable payments to your customers. And so I think that's probably an important point to understand is that you want to, in the Lightning Network, I guess you can think of it like the more central you are, the easier it is for somebody to route through you. Yes. Correct? Yes, exactly. So the the way the network works is the better connected the node is, the more the incentive is for new nodes to connect to it. So it, it's, it's basically the large nodes win the game play. And that brings up this whole question as well that people say of, oh, Lightning is going to become this hub and spoke model. It will become very difficult for the average person to set up their own self-sovereign Lightning node and users will be dependent on large services. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that view. Yeah, um, the way the network uh, is built out, I think it will tend to develop towards that direction so that you have a handful or two handful of very large, very well-connected nodes that basically everybody that wants to connect to connects to if they want to have fast and probably cheap payments. But that's that's not the end of the story. If, if you don't want that and if you don't want to connect to those nodes, you can connect to smaller nodes that are tour only, uh, do a couple extra hops to obscure where the payment goes, and you're good to go. So it's it's basically it's it's not it doesn't force you toward that, but this is basically what I think most of the users of the network will want also. So it, it will I think it will develop in that direction. So in other words, the convenience layer for end users will push, let's say, the network in this direction, but perhaps there will still be that opportunity for the, let's say, self-sovereign Lightning Node user who maybe wants to be more sovereign, he or she, they can still set up their own Lightning Node and still find ways to get connected, I guess, so long as they have enough capital and they have a good enough node in terms of uptime, availability, and things like this. Yeah, it's especially about privacy, right? If, if, if you uh, only have a channel with me and uh, you send and receive over that channel, I basically know everything that you send and receive because that's your only channel. Um, so if, if you don't want that, you should have a couple of channels and basically obscure how you're going to pay but that that's not it's it's not a must it's it's just something that that the, the more private you want to be the more it's recommended to kind of obscure what you're paying what you're receiving towards your peers of course and it's probably fair to say that if you want to be private with bitcoin in general you you have to do a little bit more work and you may yes. have to pay a bit more that's just that's just the trade off that's just the reality of it i think exactly. um and and even to be to be fair there there are network and protocol improvements that may come down the line. So, for example, trampoline routing, route blinding, Bolt 12 that offers additional receiver privacy, taproot channels with PTLCs, point-time lock contracts instead of HTLCs. So I think these are a few examples that maybe down the line, they may help improve privacy as well. Yes, absolutely. And this is not, it's, it's, it's not a fixed protocol. It's, it's growing. It, it's being developed on, although it's, it's getting slower because stuff has emerged and it's working. And now, uh, there's different parties with different incentives trying to move the protocol their way. And, and it, it, we have to wait and see which way it's going to end up. Right. And in the, let's say bear market or dip, whatever we want to call this right now as we speak, Bitcoin's 
call it 20, 21,000 around that range, down from the high of 69,000 last year. So I'm curious, Zero, are you seeing any different behavior in the bear market? Are you seeing less activity on the Lightning Network compared to earlier in the year? No, no. The, it, it's pretty pr- pretty much the same. Um, I have like seasonal ebbs and flows intra-week. But other than that, it, it, it's pretty much the same as it has been before. Excellent. And so the other point I was interested to chat with you about is the channel.db and so this is something you spoke about (laughs) and so i think you might have uh kicked up a a little bit of a a fuss on uh, twitter and i think there was a bit of a response then from some of the different clients and other lightning node runners and lightning users but do you want to just tell us a little bit about your adventures with your channel database yeah, when I when I started my node, I just went with the most popular uh, implementation, which is LND. I didn't even look at the other ones, so I, I just took uh, the the most popular one uh, that had the most scripting, the most tooling, whatever, and set it up and got it running and ran into the channel DB growing very very quickly after a couple of months. And it ended up growing so fast. I had like 900 channels and the channel DB grew by seven gigabytes a day. So, uh, and if you have like a, a terabyte of disk space, you can kind of do the math how long that's going to last you. <laughs> and I knew, um, that LND developers were working on, on a fix, but I also knew, uh, that there was no time set for that fix to be deployed. So and I just had to. Do I trust them to do it in time before I die, or do I don't? <laughs> do I not do that? And for me, it was pretty clear that that I can't. I can't play the lottery on that. And I said, okay, I'm. I have so much traction right now. The later I do a switch, the harder it's gonna be to regain all that traction. So I. Basically, it, within two weeks, I shut the node down, told everybody move over to the other node, <laughs> and started a new node uh, running CLN. With uh, Core Lightning, which used to be called C yep. Lightning for listeners, yep. if you're not familiar. Uh, and so, uh, as I understand from the Lightning Labs LND perspective, I think it was something like the software was basically very verbose with the logging and so that's what's causing this uh that was causing that and i think they i think later maybe it was after you changed over but i think they had later shipped a an update to the software so such that it it wasn't uh that verbose with the logging but yeah. in your case it was too late you had already switched exactly yeah it's it's like they they i think that, well release candidates are out that that already uh, mitigate this issue so if you are willing to run a release candidate you can run one that that does not store as much information in the channel db um, but uh, the old states are still there. Um, a fix for that is supposedly coming out uh, later this year. So it, it, it will be cleaned up. What uh, LND did, it was basically storing a bunch of information that does not necessarily have to be stored, uh, just out of convenience. Um, and that, that led to issues for large uh, routing nodes. I see. Yeah. And I think as I understand from the Lightning Labs perspective, it was something like it helps with troubleshooting for users who wanted help or something like that. Yeah. 
And it made uh, your peer, from what I gathered, if your peer published an old channel state, it made it quicker for you to uh, kind of retaliate and publish the uh, actual punishment transaction for that. But it's it's a huge trade-off because that almost never happens. And if it happens, if it takes you a second to get to that, it's okay. <laughs> right, gotcha. Yeah, and so uh, do you want to maybe chat a little bit about the the level of the machine you're running? I mean, of course, if whatever, whatever yeah. you're willing to disclose. Yeah, of course. Are, you, are you using like a very beefy machine? Is it a very high-powered machine or is it just a, an average sort of box? Or what, what are you, what's the situation here? Yeah, I started up with running it on a desktop and on a really old desktop computer that's just sat next to my desk. Um, then moved over to a, a ThinkPad, a Lenovo ThinkPad. Um, but I ran into hardware issues with that device, like like serious. I, I got I really got lucky that I didn't screw up the note completely. Um, and then decided, okay, I'm just gonna move to a data center, rent a dedicated server there, and it's now running on a pretty beefy machine. But um, from the information I have, that, that's not really necessary. So a node like mine can run on medium quality hardware. Not not quality, but medium beefy hardware. I see, yeah. And then are there special concerns around things like backups or your node going offline? Because obviously there are quite, I mean, I checked your statistics uh, just an hour or so ago. I think you've got something like 66 Bitcoin worth of um, capacity there. And now, of course, maybe that's not all um, outgoing capacity. Some of that might be inbound as well. But with running such a large routing node, you obviously have to be more careful. Are there any special considerations there around things like backups? Yes, of course. First of all, I run uh, C-Lightning with, uh, or Core Lightning, as it's called now, with uh, Postgres database backend. So it's not the the standard, uh, I think, SQLite or whatever. Um, so I can, I didn't do it yet, but I can implement uh, replication. I run it on a rate. So if one of the drives fails, it's still going to be there. And also, uh, I, I've hardened the, the, the server, so it basically only accepts Lightning protocol communications uh, over IP. And what this, there, there's basically no other software running besides Bitcoin and Lightning. So um, even the channel opening method that I implemented is not implemented in a way that the, something talks to my server and the server reacts, but the server pulling new channel opening requests every minute, so it talks to the other side. So I have an API that that my server talks to with the script that I wrote. So there's no way to kind of tell my server something that it does not pull itself. I see. Yeah, you've got a, a like a separation of concerns. Yeah, so exactly. Okay, great. And so, is there anything special being done in terms of? availability then because obviously running a big routing node you don't want downtime off you know your node going offline you want it to be up stable as much as possible is there anything special you're doing there or is it just you know the data center has already has certain assurances for you about you know five nines or five nines availability or anything like that yeah uh, right now it's it's exactly just the data center uptime guarantee so if something happens uh the, the node is down but i'm actually 
in the process of implementing uh, a switch. So, so with the database replication, you can set up a second node that accesses the replicated database that you can basically switch to in an instant if the first primary node goes down. So um, yeah, that's something that I'm looking at, but it's not there yet. So right now, if the hard if the hardware fails or if somebody pulls the plug, then the node's down. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, and I, I think there's different models I've heard of and seen. So some people run like one lightning node in front of another or things like this to sort of run uh, their different setups. So it's always interesting just to hear the the setup that some of the bigger lightning node users or routing node operators are doing. The, the main issue right now is less uh, hardware reliability or, or electricity availability or something like that, but, but software stability. And that's something that having a second machine does not mitigate. If your software crashes, it's going to crash on another hardware as, as much. Gotcha. Also, just thinking about Lightning business models, and I'm, I guess the other question as well, and I think you were talking about this recently as well on Twitter, is why is it that no, it seems nobody else has tried to copy your business model yet. Yeah, I've been asked that a lot, and I've asked that question to myself a lot too. Um, either it is not attractive because um, the amount of yield you can generate with your coins is limited to the amount of channels you can open with those coins. And if you have like 0.5% uh, fee that you charge and you guarantee 90 days, you can at most charge four times 5%, which is 2% year over year yield. So the maximum amount of yield I can generate with my coins is limited to 2%, which is not the case if I were to charge routing fees. So maybe disincentive for others to enter that market. But I think from what what information I have, 2 to 3% yield is basically at the top of what others are making that charge fees. So I, I don't know if, if it's that much lower than the, the theoretical maximum that you can achieve. And it's way easier the way I run it because I don't, others have to pay lots of attention towards rebalancing channels and all, all that stuff. I don't do any of that because rebalancing channels would just be me subsidizing my peers routing because I pay for rebalancing a channel that my peers can use for free to unbalance again. So um, for running a node, the way I do is, is a lot less time intensive and uh, requires a lot less continuous uh, channel maintenance because I just disable a channel if it's depleted. Right, I see. And I'm curious as well if you have any thoughts on where you see routing fees on the network just going just broadly. Like, do you think maybe in, in, in say five years' time, the average, if you you know, if you had to estimate the routing fee, the average routing fee paid by let's say an average retail customer in five years' time, where would you guess or where would you speculate that would be? It completely, completely depends on how the market's going to develop. My initial suggestion was it's gonna approach zero just because there is no i i can't see it being high for a sustained period of time just because it's so easy to deploy a node um, and set lower fees than the rest of the game the game does and attract inbound liquidity so i i think it it's gonna be lower towards most channels there will always be channels that that you have to charge Fees towards uh, Loop is one of those, which is a service that Lightning Labs is offering. And uh, yeah, 
that's that's probably something that 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 might happen. So there are risks associated with running a lightning node. I mean, of course, your channels could get griefed. There could be some vulnerability. You know, you're tying up capital. Yeah. I think surely those factors would all lead to there being some cost, you know, above zero in terms of routing longer term. Yeah, maybe. But I, I, right now, the, the way uh, businesses work uh, right now with with uh, fiat money is you, a retailer, uh, store owner, basically pays a fee to being able to receive funds. Like with Visa or March, Mastercard, they charge up to two percent. Um, and I, I can see, and, and the, the the end user, the customer, doesn't pay anything. I can see that developing for Lightning and, and Bitcoin payments as well, so that the, the stores basically swallow the, the cost of the payment so that the payer pays for free because it's just better UX. So it, it, it's just not a good feel if you go to restaurant A and, and it, it's going to cost you 1% extra just to pay there. And at restaurant B, it, it's not. So I, I think it's it, it might develop in a way that the stores, the restaurants, the persons being paid are willing to pay for their customers having a good experience. Back to the show in a moment. Trusting an exchange to hold on to your Bitcoin exposes you to risks such as exchange hacks, compromised passwords, or funds being frozen. As we say, not your keys, not your coins. But taking ownership of your Bitcoin keys can be daunting. Even with hardware wallet signing devices, it's normal to worry about coins getting lost or stolen. Unchained Capital makes it simple for you to set up a multi-signature vault, take control of your keys, and eliminate single points of failure, all while providing the guidance you need to feel confident with your Bitcoin. Bitcoin storage. So if you're you're curious about upgrading your Bitcoin security, Unchained offers a complimentary 20-minute video call to chat through your options, no strings attached. Unchained's team of experts will be happy to chat through what the setup process looks like and any questions you might have relating to taking control of your keys. They can also cover how to take advantage of Unchained's integrated financial services, such as their trading desk, loans, retirement accounts, and inheritance solutions. So if you need to improve your Bitcoin security, don't wait any longer. Go book your consultation unchained.com slash consultation. Are you in the Bitcoin mining game? You've got to check out brains.com. Brains are a Bitcoin mining provider in the space. They operate Slushpool, which is the first Bitcoin mining pool. And importantly, they offer Brains OS Plus. This allows you to increase the hash rate on your Bitcoin ASIC as long as it's supported. You can improve your efficiency as much as 25% and you can mine on any pool. Or if you use Brains OS Plus and you point your hash rate towards Slushpool, you get 0% pool fees. So go to the website and check out all the supported models over at Brains. And don't forget, they've also got an analytics dashboard, which you can use to calculate things and use the profitability calculator to calculate your mining profitability. That website is brains.com, brains with two eyes. And finally, Voltage. Voltage is paving the way as the leading enterprise-grade Lightning solution for anyone building on Layer 2. Lightning is the future for Bitcoin payments and you can't overlook it anymore. Voltage can help you integrate Lightning and payment infrastructure into your solution quickly and hassle-free. Don't waste time with maintenance and integration. Deploy and iterate faster with Voltage. So this can work for you whether you want to route payments, build your small business, or scale an enterprise company. Voltage can help you out. So don't stumble on your own infrastructure. Go get started at Voltage. Dot cloud. And now, back to the show with zero-fee routing. 
Yeah, that's a good point uh, because in the modern day world now, when people go and tap their credit cards in the background, it's anywhere between two, three, four, maybe even 5% that actually is being paid, but actually the merchant is wearing that cost. And for them, for that merchant, it's just cost of doing business, right? If I want to sell products or if I want to run a restaurant or a coffee shop or whatever, I'm just eating that. I'm swallowing that as part of my inside my margins overall. So it's an interesting argument you make there that the merchants will just shoulder that cost and really they'll just build the cost into the actual services that they're they're charging to their customers although yeah i guess it might be interesting to see what happens with that even in the more online lightning native model so let's say podcasting 2.0 or some of the let's say the zebedee or thunder games sort of online lightning powered gaming uh some of these you know lightning markets or some of these uh, LSPs, where you know, where are they going to make that money? I guess they could also charge an upfront fee uh, for the service, and again, build it into exactly. the cost, just like the coffee merchant, the whatever coffee yeah. store builds in the cost of the credit card payments uh, and chargebacks. All of that is calculated or built into the cost of the coffee that you buy. Yeah, and I also think it it helps with adoption because it's it's easier to sell Lightning as that cool new technology that you should use. If when you use it, it's not gonna cost you an extra point one percent to use because right now, if you have a credit card, if you have PayPal, if you have whatever uh, technology that you use to pay your friends with, it's all instant, it's all free. So if if we want to um, propose lightning as a solution that 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 solves beyond the confiscability which is excellent for in my opinion but it, it's not gonna sell to 90 percent of the population they don't care about that at all so, so uh, either something big happens and they start to care uh, or we have to compete in the fields that that others are competing already and that has and that will be free payments or at least very very cheap payments yeah interesting and i think so as an example then let's say in your case you're charging 0.5 percent per 90 days and as you said that works out or calculates to two percent per year but in a way that's almost like a that's like a maximum you could earn in terms of your capital now of course you could sell a lot of channels um, but it just means you've got to have a lot of coin available to uh, to earn that. And so I guess part of it will also turn on where interest rates go in the broader world because here's the the reality, right? Because for any Lightning Node operator, they are still going to have to compare what they're going to earn operating a Lightning Node. And so in your case, that's 2% per year on the capital, the Bitcoin that you deploy into that node minus your fees in terms of on-chain fees, fees for running the yeah. node, operating costs, electricity, server hosting, etc. All of those costs, uh, because you would have to then compare that. Like, let's say we're in an environment where the Fed is raising rates, the BOE is raising rates. And if interest rates in the world start rising, then you've got to calculate that into it as well. But even there, what we're doing here is we're doing this in a Bitcoin world. So it's kind of like you're retaining Bitcoin exposure as opposed to fiat exposure. So even if you could get, I don't know, let's say the Fed raised rates and you were getting or whatever, let's say uh, you know in, in Europe or whatever, you could get 3 or 4%, you still would have to be exposed to the euro as an example. Exactly. So, so my main argument with that is um, a Bitcoin native yield. Like, like you invest Bitcoin, you get Bitcoin back plus the yield. 
is probably always naturally lower than a fiat yield because fiat to to make up for fiat yield you have to make at least eight percent a year to just cover up what inflation takes from you plus the taxes you're going to have to pay <laughs> for that so so it's 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 uh, i think the, the 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 yield that you can natively relatively risk-free earn on on bitcoin are are going to be lower than uh, fiat yields yeah, that's really fascinating to think about, hey. And then uh, one other idea just came to me as well. When you're a well-connected node, there will be other people who want to just open a channel to you just because they want to be connected to you. Now, how does it work then if they charge a, if they have a fee on their channel? Yeah, I, I don't uh, mind uh, what my peers do. So um, my peers uh, can open the channel with me or if they pay for a channel from me uh, they both uh, types of peers can t- set their fees to whatever they want interestingly um, my peers tend to set their fees towards me to a very low ppm and usually zero base fee or zero fees overall the reason for that is not them being altruistic or generous the reason for that is that for most of my peers i act as a source which means that funds come from me towards them so so my channels usually push towards my peer my peers because i'm so well connected and the the funds want to move out from me towards their channels so in order to earn money uh, earn satoshis on their other channels, they have to get the liquidity back towards me, which incentivizes them to set their fees towards me to zero, which is a really odd dynamic that, that I've been uh, looking at for basically all the, since I started, which I did not uh, expect to happen. But it, it, basically the way uh, the dynamics work is that, that I route towards my peers for free and they usually are routing towards me for free as well, which uh, increases the dynamic that I have, that I just route tons of funds. Yeah, right. So in a way, it's like a rich get richer situation because you've already got all these zero fee channels and then more people want to set up a channel with you because they see you as a source of routing forwards and they see, oh, hey, if I connect to zero, he is going to send some traffic through my way and I can make money on my other channels that I've got. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic there because, yeah, I guess in general in the Lightning Network, you want to think about being in the route that people are paying towards. So if you know, for example, there's a really cool new merchant who's starting up and you set, you want to open a channel to that merchant because you expect other people will want to route through you to get to that, to pay that merchant. So that's kind of, I guess that's the high level dynamic. And I guess the other way people are doing it is, let's say there's a well-known swap provider like Bolt Exchange or Loop or Pool, things like this, where you might want to connect to that node because you know people are going to be wanting to route through your channel and that's therefore a way for you to earn. Yeah, the the, the funny thing is um, I'm kind of putting uh, the rest of the network in a prisoner's dilemma situation. So um, all of the nodes uh, can decide to either not connect to me or connect to me. If nobody connected to me, I would have no channels and I wouldn't do much routing. But if nodes start to connect to me, others have to connect to me as well because I'm routing for so cheap that they are no longer on the shortest path if they are not connected to me. But every node that connects to me and has a channel with me is removed from the profitable routes that 
all the other peers can do because I route that way now. So I'm, it's, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic and I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by how it plays out right now because if you connect to me, all the channels that you have that have moved towards you before are now preferably coming from me because I route for free and the peers don't. Yeah, fascinating. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it brings us back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, why haven't more people done this? And I guess maybe from their perspective, they're, they're not ready to kind of take the leap or maybe they see it like, oh, Zero kind of already got, the, got there first and he's kind of taking advantage of it. But yeah, really interesting, hey. So then do you ever have to rebalance or you literally just never have to rebalance and you just basically yeah. don't? I just disable channels that are depleted and either my peer does something about that or they don't see movement their way. Uh, but if, if funds flow naturally back my way, I re-enable uh, the channel. I see. Yeah. And so I guess, is there a little bit of a, let's say in that, in that case where the channel gets exhausted and then you disable the channel on your side, then the other channel partner has a choice whether they just close that channel. Now, at that point, you're going to pay a fee, right? Because there's a channel reserve and I think a little bit of fee is paid by both sides, right? No, the channel uh, closing fees are always paid by the party that opened the channel. I see. So if, if, if you opened the channel to me and you close it cooperatively, you're going to pay the fee. And if you force close it, you're going to pay the fee as well, just a higher fee. And yeah. with um, the channels that I uh, opened, I usually charge that possible closing fee upfront anyway so i i don't really mind the channel being closed <laughs> interesting hey <laughs> you've really thought it through hey i like that um <laughs> that's really cool um so what about uh your recent campaign to get liquidity ads uh aka dual funded channels or aka collaborative channels which is a core lightning feature now your yeah. campaign was to get this added to lnd so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, it all just started with me reading Alex Bothworth's tweet uh, that if you want to have something done for one of the implementations, you should do it or pay somebody to do it instead of nagging the developers to implement it for free, basically. And uh, L&D has not implemented liquidity ads or dual-funded channels the way it was supposed uh, by uh, Nifty Night. And there is a bold pull request on GitHub to, to extend the bolts to, to have that as a native, uh, Lightning native protocol. And LND just does not have that as a priority, uh, which I can understand because they, uh, their business model right now is, uh, they, they run a service that's called pool where they are basically the matchmaker and they charge fees for the matchmaking. So, and, and that service would be obsolete in an instant if uh, liquidity ads, dual funded channels were uh, implemented in LND. So they, they don't have, they have a real high incentive to not have that happening. And because I read uh, Alex Bosworth's tweet, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna start a campaign, say I'm gonna uh, double the funds up to 10 million Satoshi for every donation that I get and I will pay 
a developer that implements this and gets this merged. And that is one of the requirements. It doesn't help if you just implement it. You have to have, have it merged in L&D um, to receive the, the payout, basically. And this is also why I said I'm going to donate uh, all the funds to the Human Rights Foundation if it ne- doesn't happen, because it, I'm not very confident it's ever going to happen because it just hurts L&D lightning that space line. Right. And so I could imagine it's an interesting thing, right? The open source world, but there's a business behind this. Yeah. And I could understand if they, you could sort of see a future where they say, uh, no, we're not going to merge this because, you know, it's just not in line with the business model. And so, you know, it's uh, awkward. If, if, it, if, if it was implemented and they, then they have to decide, okay, are we not, are we merging this or are we not? And if, if they're not, they're tell, they're going to tell the whole world, our business model is more important than this feature. And it's a great feature. It, it, it allows for self sovereignty. You don't have to talk. You don't have to have HTTPS certificates, which always require being a person known to the wider world because you can't have a domain without giving your name away. And if, with, with liquidity ads, all you have to do is spin up a node. Uh, so you can do that completely anonymously, um, which is an excellent uh, quality to have. So um, I, I really hope it gets implemented. I really, really hope uh, it gets merged, but I'm not that confident that it's going to be. Yeah. And I think the other aspect that I find really cool about it uh, you know, because of course I, I would like to see, uh, you know, speaking selfishly as a Lightning Network user, I would like to see, uh, you know, uh, liquidity ads, dual funded channels, collaborative channels, whatever we want to call it, um, because it would also help from a privacy point of view. Because the uh, the resulting channel opens actually will help cut against or undermine the common input ownership heuristic, which is a private, which is a well known privacy heuristic. Yeah. So if we were able to get a lot of Lightning node implementations and clients all using this, it might actually seriously help in terms of privacy on the Lightning Network because then right now there are heuristics that can be applied and leveraged to try to de-anonymize or at least try to trace some of the on-chain behavior of a Lightning Node user. But let's say we were in a future where everyone was doing these dual-funded channels, then it, it actually starts to make it less clear whose funds are whose. Yeah, exactly. Just like Christian uh, said in, in, in a podcast he did a couple of weeks back, uh, it, it's basically uh, the, the Lightning funding uh, transaction is a coin join then, which is great uh, for privacy. Right, yeah. And I think, so that part, maybe that's a bit more debatable where, like, I think I, I initially said, oh, it might look like a pay join, but there are other distinguishing features there, right? Because Lightning <laughs> is multi-sig. It is, yeah. you know, it's a specific output type and uh, but that said in a taproot world it it could sort of help if everyone starts using taproot and then these lightning node users are doing these taproot output multi-sigs and it's you know definitely so it's probably maybe not true to say it's a page like a like a pay join but it is true to say it undermines the common input your ownership heuristic which is yeah. which is a win from a privacy point of view right for for the for the self-sovereign uh, Lightning and Bitcoin users out there. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And, um, you know, it might be cool to see that. Also, I guess another question listeners are probably thinking, and of course, you, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but uh, is it with running the zero fee routing, this business, for you right now, is it kind of like 
is it side hustle level money or is it like replacing full income level money and you see it kind of growing <laughs> to that level? Yeah, well, you can do the math basically. So, so if you if you assume that that half of the funds uh, of that sixty five Bitcoin are mine, and you take take two percent of that, which would be basically the maximum that I can earn on it, you would arrive at uh, five point six Bitcoin a year in yield. And with today's price, that's not something you can live comfortably <laughs> off of. So it is a side hustle. It's taking up a lot of my time and I can see it having a future where it, it, it is going to be the only thing I do. But right now it's, it's not, it's not paying all my bills. Of course. Yeah. No, that's totally fair. And I think it, it but it is really interesting to see. And of course, if let's obviously Bitcoin moves through these bull and bear cycles. And so let's say, we get another bull cycle, and I, look. Of course, I have no crystal ball, right? It could be, it could be in a few months, it could be in a year or two yep. years, for all we know. But let's say we went through that bull cycle, then at that point, it might actually start to be serious money uh, for you, and so yeah, exactly. that'll be really interesting then, because then it literally would replace, it could replace your day job. Yeah, and I've always wanted to have a Bitcoin native source of income. So I, I love the fact that I'm earning sats directly instead of earning fiat money and having to buy uh, Bitcoin. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy how it turns out. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised it is profitable in the first year. So I, I started the, the, the lightning, the LND node up in July, I think. And it's not even a year and I'm, I'm, I'm profitable. Yeah, that's great. And I think we're seeing this whole ecosystem of tooling out there, right? So for example, there's Amboss.space, there's things like yeah. Thunderhub, there's RTL, right? The lightning, there's all these different tools and different software and things that you can leverage to be a better lightning node operator so i'm curious if you have any tips for listeners out there who want to run their own lightning node do you have any tips for them although i guess in some sense you're educating your competition but in another sense you're sort of helping the, grow the network so you know let's call it even yeah i i don't mind uh, giving tips at all it's, it's just on, on a meta level basically because uh, i myself run none of the, these tools just because from a security perspective, because if a security flaw would be introduced in one of those tools, it would affect my security. So I run literally nothing <laughs> except the, the node. But uh, of course, I have uh, personal nodes that I use for my personal payments. Uh, so I, I can venture some tips. I really think that if you run a Lightning node and you want to have a graphical user interface, you should install Write the Lightning. And I really think you should, if you want to uh, have access on it on with your mobile phone, you should use Zeus, uh, which is an excellent tool to access your Lightning node with. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm a user of RTL and Zeus myself, and I did a recent episode with Evan. So, listeners, I'll put that in yeah. the show notes for anyone interested. And Zero, let's get your thoughts as well on Lightning Protocol improvements. I know I, we, I briefly mentioned some earlier, but there's a bunch that are potentially coming. There was a recent Lightning uh, Protocol developer meetup and discussion on this, and I think Lalu summarized some of these ideas, like gossip network updates, taproot channels, blinded paths, probing and balance sharing, Bolt 12 and things like this. There were a bunch of those. I'm curious, from your perspective, is there anything you are excited about? 
yeah, the excitement is, is, is well, I, I'm excited the network is still being spec'd out and it's growing. The feature set is growing. The problem with the old process is it's it's a slow one, like like <laughs> like the with three C consortium. It, it's it's always taking a long time to get stuff implemented. Um, I'm really excited about Bolt Twelve. I'm also really I I have proposed at some point to make a balance sharing a part of the protocol or something like that, just because a huge part of what all nodes in the network are seeing right now and in, in, in traffic and failed payments is actually probing. So it's it's a peer probing if the channel has liquidity or not. And if that happens uh, on a huge scale, it means that the liquidity you have in a channel is basically publicly information anyways because you can probe that channel for free. So it's just... Uh, you, you just have to jump through a level, uh, a couple of hoops to get the information, but the information is out there anyway. So we might as well publish that information in order to avoid all those, uh, this probing. We don't have to publish the exact amount of liquidity we have in a channel, but a rough uh, information, j just for privacy's sake, but a rough information doesn't hurt anybody, in my opinion, and it saves a lot of failed routing and probing. Yeah, that's a fascinating question as well, because it, it comes to that trade-off of payment reliability versus privacy. Now, I can see some of the privacy-focused users saying, no, no, don't ever share balance, don't, don't do that stuff. Yeah. And maybe from their perspective, some of them would say, and I've seen um, people talk about this idea, instead of paying only for successful payments in Lightning Network, to charge for attempts. Um, yeah. I've heard of that. That's one idea. That's kind of one direction. And then the other way, as you're saying, is more like, balance sharing, but try to do it in a way that doesn't totally dox everything to everyone and maybe yeah, exactly. only to your next peer or you know peers within a certain distance from you, things like that. So I'm curious, how, how do you uh, balance those different ideas of privacy versus payment reliability and then let's say ease of operation for the Lightning Node operator? I think privacy is really, really important, especially for money like Bitcoin, because in order to be censorship resistant, it has to be able to be used at least somewhat privately. But if the information is available for Genalysis companies anyways, by aggressively probing the whole network, which doesn't cost them much. So if, if I have like a $1,000 budget a month, which is not a huge budget, <laughs> I can probe the whole whole network on a continued basis. So it is not private information anyways. So why are we putting so much effort in keeping it pseudo-private <laughs> if it's not private at all? Right, I see. Yeah, and I can, I can hear the privacy-focused individuals screaming out in horror <laughs> uh, at this point because they're saying, no, it's going to become a surveillance network, right? Um, so I'm curious if you have any thoughts on ways that balances could be shared in a way that's not, I guess, totally horrible for privacy? Yeah. yeah the way I did it when I ran the L&D node is I updated my uh, Max HTLC uh, on a continued basis, not just to between one and full channel size, but I've had basically brackets of sizes that would kind of signal the size of the channel. I, I, it's like I, I said, a quarter of the channel size is the maximum uh, of the liquidity I have is the maximum I'm going to route through that channel in one payment. And that basically gives away the information 
but it doesn't share at all what the liquidity is that I have. Right. So you're trying to sort of cut it halfway in some way, in some yeah. sense. You're trying to give some information, but not all of it. And maybe if everyone does that, then maybe that helps a little bit. So I guess the, the broader level concern here would be if, let's say, a chain surveillance firm could cheaply surveil the network, as you said, then does that sort of cut against the financial freedom aspect of Bitcoin, which many of us do want? Uh, so, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where that lands and the navigation, let's say, of trying to make it reliable enough, private enough, and also operationally easy enough. Because as you were saying, if everyone is probing, or let's say even if it's just the malicious chain surveillance companies who are probing the network just constantly because they want to sort of understand, oh, okay, what's yeah. the balance in all the different channels? And let me look at the movement in those channels and then try to infer, oh, it looks like this node paid that node. And therefore, I know kind of roughly some payment came from this area in the network and it paid that other node in the network, things like this, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so if, if you uh, can uh, aggregate a couple, of, well, for me, it's easy because I, I see so much uh, movement so that if I uh, update my liquidity information like once every hour, that would basically, for the most channels, that would basically be no information whatsoever because I see back and forth and it's going to be so aggregated that that doesn't help. But with, with smaller channels and smaller nodes, it can lead to... Uh, more detailed information basically yeah and i mean in fairness as well this is the other aspect of you know of, i think i've spoken about this uh, with rusty in an earlier episode um but i think he was basically making the point and i think this is true is that any of the larger lightning nodes who are well connected like very well connected they can just see more of the traffic right now that's just so, yeah, for example you can see and potentially de-anonymize traffic or some of the traffic on the lightning network correct yeah, well, I, I see see ten thousand transactions successful forwards a day, and I know from where they came and to which uh, direction they came. Uh, I also see, um, especially if it's round amounts. So if if there's a hundred thousand sat payment, and it's a payment that says a hundred thousand and one point two sets extra, I can kind of guess if there's an additional hop just because. Nobody would pay a hundred thousand and one and two hundred millisats. So I can kind of like, yeah, heuristically see where that payment is going. But yeah, that, that's inherent of the the network, basically. Because the, the peers you route through see the payment. Yeah, and as we see the network grow, then maybe it'll be a little bit harder to for any one person to sort of get a full view of the whole thing and. Uh, maybe that is one aspect and as well as some of those other privacy improvements as well things like the uh, blinded paths uh, trampoline routing taproot channels all these aspects that would help in their own way around uh, lightning privacy yeah okay so um, I think those are probably the key questions and probably a, a good spot to wrap up anyway so Zero if people want to find you online or if they want to buy a channel off you what's the best place for them to find you yeah, I'm very, very outspoken on Twitter, which is at zero fee routing, one word. Uh, you can reach me on Telegram if you want, at uh, zero fee routing as well. I have a GitHub account also at zero fee routing, and you can reach my website, uh, HTTPS doubles, HTTPS, zero fee routing.com basically. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, I really enjoyed chatting with you, Zero, and uh, thanks for 
sharing and uh, educating the listeners uh, about your adventures with Lightning Nodes. Thanks for having me. Get the show notes over at stefanlevera.com slash 384. And if you're enjoying the show, make sure you leave a review on the platforms such as Apple Podcasts and others. That really helps new people find the show. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels.